have a fun idea. If you really want to mess with people, do some interesting and provocative, I don't know if I'd call it evangelism, but some provocative work in getting people to think about the gospel, get a rainbow wig and a couple of tickets to the Super Bowl over in the end zone. You get a poster and a nice uh, big fat magic marker and write on it, John 3, 19. And this being the age of information, the good viewers of the most viewed event in television history will get out their phones and they'll look it up and they'll see that it reads this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Yikes. You would hear the sound of chicken wings being dropped to the floor all over the world. (laughs) People would read that, and they'd really feel judged, wouldn't they? They might even feel doomed. And, you know, let's face it, it's, it's true, isn't it? You can take a look in any direction at our society and you can see that there's all kinds of things happening like state-sponsored violence, like capital punishment, and people being executed in far-off lands for their politics, starvation, poverty, injustice. And our very culture is evidenced by all the commercials you will watch on that very Super Bowl Sunday. It seems to be hell-bent on spreading death and oppression in the seven deadlies. But lest we get all self-righteous, our personal lives are just as full of evil deeds, hopefully small rather than big evil deeds. We cheat on our tax return. We, We fudge on a golf game, maybe cheat on a school test. We get involved in a malicious flame war on Facebook and say some unkind things to people. We tell lies. We covet our neighbor's success. In the course of a week, well, I mean, in the course of a day, even, we, we might find ourselves as doing as Jesus described, as, as, as loving the dark. And we might have to agree with John 3.19. But we can't stop there, no. So we go a little earlier to that traditional Super Bowl poster message, John 3.16, and, and we read that. You know, that's the one scripture that sets up Christianity to to place itself over all other religions, the one that we have to believe and that we have to believe well to keep ourselves out of this scary darkness that John describes, lest we find ourselves in a place where God is absent for all eternity. And I don't know about you, but as I was growing up, this was a big part of my church culture in my life. It's the first verse I ever had to memorize in second grade. But you know, when it was repeated to me, it was usually said more like a threat than a promise. Someone would look at me or my little friend Scott engaged in some mischief in the third row of children's church, and they'd look at us and they'd say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, they were saying it. Obviously, you don't believe because you're a bad boy and a bad person. And since you don't believe, well, you risk darkness in an all eternity. 
You need to make yourself a part of that whosoever who believes so you too can stay in the light. Because after all, darkness is the place where God is absent. But darkness is inevitable. We all know this. Darkness is a part of our reality. It's a part of our everyday, everyday life. We find ourselves caught up in patterns that are not good, uh, caught up in, in, in behaviors and in attitudes that, that keep us separated from God. And we, and we find ourselves, as a writer and pastor I like, uh, from Rome, Georgia, P. Joel Snyder, he says, we find ourselves loving the sin and hating the sinner. Especially when, we, when it comes to how we judge ourselves. Joel says, We love the hope that someday we will be filthy rich, but we hate ourselves for being captive to thoughts about money. And we feel guilty for not being more generous. We love the anger and nurture the hurt and harbor the grudge, but secretly we hate ourselves for not having the discipline to let it go. We even love our overeating. We eat beyond our need and hate ourselves for not stopping. We find ourselves during our lives loving our sin, don't we? And we believe somehow that because this is true, that God has no part of us in our darkness. We believe that there are places in our lives that God has no part of and God wants no part of. We might even come to believe that our evil deeds define who we are. We live in the darkness of the judgment that the world places on us, and even worse, the judgment that we place on ourselves. And it's interesting that Jesus is having a discussion about things like this in the middle of the night in darkness, so it's no wonder that he pulls this as an example for his conversation partner, the teacher, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has snuck over to see Jesus at great peril to his own life to to straighten out some things that have been bouncing around in his head about eternal life and about what must he do to be a part of all these things that Jesus is talking about. And it's interesting because we normally associate this verse with the word eternal life, but this concept would have been very foreign from Jesus, this concept of an eternal afterlife. He would have thought of time really split into the present age and the age to come. And the present age was the age in which he lived, and, and he and Nicodemus would have known of the age of the, the age to come is the age in which God would come and work amongst them and work in the world, restoring creation back, uh, back to its good state. So Jesus, perhaps, is not inviting Nicodemus and not inviting us to a blissful afterlife here, but to something even better to life, to light, not somewhere in the future, but to life right now. God is present in your midst, he's telling Nicodemus. God is present even when you're in the darkness, Nicodemus. We are not connected to some eternal life at the end of our lives, but life abundant in the present. Our gift from God is deep relationship with God. No matter where we are situated in our lives, no matter whether or not we are walking through the dark or walking through the light. Jesus is suggesting to Nicodemus, perhaps, that Nicodemus learn how to walk in the dark. 
Our own Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a book that some of y'all have probably read by that same title, Learning to Walk in the Dark. She says that, that we're afraid of spiritual darkness, and so we, we deny that it even exists in our life, or we try to push it aside, and we've divided uh, our lives up into this dualistic thing of those things that are light and those things that are dark. But then she also says that Jesus came to be among us, not just to drag us out of the inevitable darkness that we walk through, but so that there were no parts of our lives, even in that darkness in which God was absent. Even when we find ourselves content in the darkness and loving the sin and hating the sinner, hating ourselves, God is still present with us. Barbara says, when light fades and darkness falls as it does every single day and in every single life, God does not turn the world over to some other deity. Even when you cannot see where you are going and no one answers when you call, this is not sufficient proof that you are alone. And then she later quotes scripture saying, here's the testimony of faith. Darkness is not dark to God. The night is as bright as the day. So here as we eavesdrop over the end of this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus is trying to to bring home to Nicodemus that God is not a God that demands human sacrifice from humans in order to save them from the darkness, but is a God that, that is offering herself as a sacrifice to humans on their behalf in the midst of their darkness. God is a God who, who will someday suffer, as we know, the ultimate darkness of death in separation from God so that we, we no longer have to suffer that separation ever. God came to enable and to make present infinite, everlasting relationship with God, he's telling Nicodemus, in me. God walks in the dark with us. And we can be in relationship with God and we can be in relationship with ourselves and most of all, we can be in relationship with one another. Even in our darkest places, we can begin to define ourselves as God defines us. A number of us visited a very dark place a few weeks ago. We, the Bishop of Atlanta has, has, has taken to going down to Jackson Diagnostic Center um, at every execution and holding vigil in his protest against capital punishment. And a, a number of us went down to protest uh, and to hold vigil and pray for Kelly Gissendonner a couple of weeks ago. And thanks be to God, she wound up not being executed. Um, but what was funny about the day was it, it started out Episcopal clergy and Lutheran clergy, and there were some Catholic clergy there, and a lot of us had on our clergy shirts, and we were all sort of huddled into one side of this yard they had us in, and then over on the other side, gathered around this picnic table where these, this group of women who at uh, different times would start to sing and would pray and were handing out candles to people and they held posters that said, Kelly, on my mind. And we found out these ladies called themselves the Struggle Sisters. And so a couple of us wandered down the hill and started talking to them. And as we talked, they... None of us knew why they had been in prison with Kelly. The Struggle Sisters were women who had, had studied with Kelly in a theological program that, that the Diocese of Atlanta and Candler School of Theology and several people that I know have been a part of. And they were friends with Kelly and they were friends with one another and this community had formed 
around this class that they were in. And these women had been released from prison. And so in conversation, they, they weren't talking about their darkness. It didn't even enter into conversation why they were in jail. And they, they obviously were not defining themselves by why they had been to prison or, or what they should feel ashamed of for having done. They were talking about how they had tried in the, in the previous weeks to try to save someone's life. They had gone to the pardons and paroles board and interceded on behalf of their friend to talk about what a great influence she had been on them. They were living in the light. They were defining themselves by how God loved them and how God had put them in relation with him. They were the ones who brought the group together. They were the ones who led us in prayer and singing. They were the ones who often during the day had us all giving thanks to God for the life of Kelly Gissendonner even at one point holding up a phone with a, a call in to one of her lawyers as we sang to Kelly and we prayed for her together on a day that could have been dark. We saw light. Jesus calls us to live our lives. He calls us to love ourselves as God loves us. He calls us to love others as God loves us. And John says that when we do this, we do the truth and we come to the light we come to the light and we are living in the truth that there is no place in our lives where God does not want to be present, even in the darkest corners of our lives. Jesus says, darkness cannot be dark. In our silence, I want us to take a moment and to consider the places in our lives that we feel and believe are too dark for God to take part in and to invite God's healing and God's love into those places.